0: Said I hide in my life, I'm ashamed of someone asked me whatever
1: became of
0: your mom and your brother. You never talk about them. That's because of what
2: they did and why I'm without
1: them. Happy New Year Maybe and welcome back to another, welcome to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast so for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Warzniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and Related services. If I can help you with your music career, whether that's becoming a client or just simply a private one on one online video consultation, by all means let me know. I have been doing so for artists across the U.S. since 2004 and would love to help you as well. Get in touch through the email address podcast at nhte.net, which is also where you can write to with comments about the show. I'm always eager to hear from listeners with any feedback that you have. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from just north of West Palm Beach, Florida. My guest is a singer, songwriter, guitar player, and drummer. He has had the distinction of working with many greats in rock, pop, and jazz, including Barry Manilow. Plus, he is currently part of the national touring production called Mercury, the story of Queen's Frontman. He has also performed in national touring productions, such as Broadway Music on Tour and the music of Andrew Lloyd West. Ever. Plus, he is the creator of The Troubadour's Journey. He has also been a music educator since the 1980s in California, Tennessee, and here in Florida. You've been hearing a song of his called Ashamed. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Jonathan Cummings.
0: Hi, Bruce. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the, on the show.
1: Yeah, Jonathan, thanks so much for doing this. Let's get started by having you share with the audience all about the song that was just playing called Ashamed.
0: Yeah, this song is a is. I wanted to include this uh, at the at the top of your show, because if there's if there's anyone who who um, thinks that they have a song in them, um, or they want to want to write a song, or or um, they just don't know how, or they have no music ability, or they have no training, or they don't play an instrument, the song uh, that's that's being, that's playing a shame. Um, the the guy who wrote the song and produced the song uh, did it completely over the phone with me. Hmm. Um, he would call me on the phone and go, uh, "Hey, listen, man, I, I think the guitar the guitar part needs to go more like chink 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 chink, and I want the bass line to go like this." And he would leave me voicemails, wow. and I would interpret what he meant and put together the song. The song is also important because this man, uh, Mitch, who's who wrote and, and produced the song remotely, um, is is terminal. He's uh, he doesn't have a he doesn't, he doesn't have a, a long time to live, and this mm. he felt that this song was kind of his life's work, to, to telling his life story. Um, but the point of this is, is that you know my motto is "Don't die with your song still in you," and that can apply to music. Uh, but it can apply to anything, really. If if, if you want to write a book, you know that's if that's your song, make sure you do that. You know if if it's if you want to start a business, make sure you do that. Because I have a belief that if something is in your heart to do, it's there for a reason. It's a part of your DNA. It's a part of who you are. Um, and you know, since my expertise is music, there are certainly ways to get that done. Um, I've worked with a lot of clients who have just. Said I, I have some poetry I want to turn them into songs. How do I do that? Mm. Well, let's do it. You know, just tell me what it is you want to do, and it's very possible to, to do that. So I would encourage anyone who wants. There's plenty of musicians out there. You know, not listen and interpret what it is that you want to uh, want to hear through your song, and, and can produce it for
1: you. So for the song "Ashamed," how much of it was? it a co-write? Because if you're saying to me that this is someone who is not a performer, a songwriter whatsoever, did they just kind of come to you with thoughts or was it, no, they actually did really write the song, Bruce. They had lyrics and melody. They just didn't know how to get it recorded.
0: It's, that's the case. He had all the lyrics written. Um, You know, I made a few suggestions and changes. Um, he, He would go... He would literally say, Listen, man, I'm I'm sending you a link to a, a BG's YouTube video. That's kind of what I want the harmonies to sound like. Uh. And from a musician standpoint, I, I know that what he's talking about is he's talking about the register that they're in, the way that the harmonies are voiced, uh, and the way that they sound in the mix. So I can take, you know, that you know, that that instruction uh, using the harmonies that we created, which, of course, is nothing like the VG's, and yet, you know, create the idea and the feeling that he wants to get out of those harmonies. Interesting. And like I said, a lot of the things he would, he would sing to me over the—he he would, like, would send me a text, and he would go, don't answer your phone, I'm going to leave a voice message.
2: <laughs> and so
0: I have dozens and dozens of voice messages from him going— uh you know, listen, man, you know, can we put this in the song? Would it would it sound okay to have, you know, this thing in there? And, and you know, sure, we'll try it and see what it sounds like. And he was, by all, all intents and purposes, the writer and the producer of the song. And I was just an instrument being used to make his creation come into reality.
1: Wow. Wow. That's really unique. But I really love the view that you shared about If you have a song in you, if you have a book in you, if you have something, because we all know how it goes. People will say, oh, you should write a book, or, you know, I have an idea for a song, but it always ends up being... The person who gets told you should write a book, they say, well, I'm not a writer. I could never do that. And it ends there. Or someone says, oh, I, could, I have a song idea or two, but they don't do anything with it because they think, oh, you have to be a songwriter to write a song. And here's a perfect example, Jonathan, of how you came together with someone who was very nontraditional in the music world, in the music sense, and were able to produce this song for them.
0: Yeah, and uh even to go a step further in today's world, you know, you don't even have to be living in the same state or even on the same continent with the person you're working with.
2: Mm. Um he
0: this this client lives out in uh, in Los Angeles wow. and I'm here in Florida. Wow. And uh you know, that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> the distance doesn't matter anymore.
1: Well, and also, you know, for the audience, I want you to understand this is not a Very, very, very rare occurrence, and you're never going to hear a story like that again. I know Dominic Pages, he was the guest on episode 56 of this show. He runs Crystal Blue Sound Studios and said that there was a local dentist that came to him and said, look, I'm obviously not going to quit my day job, but you know, I've kind of got a little bit of musical talent, a little bit of musical ability, and I you know, think I could probably write some songs if you helped me, and so lo and behold, you end up putting together an album for a dentist, and here's Jonathan saying, this is someone that's on the complete opposite side of the country that is not a recording artist, but we were able to get music done for him, so... You know, folks, it sounds cliched to follow your dream, but listen to Jonathan's advice and, and act on these things before you do end up with all kinds of regrets, because you're going to be so thrilled w- with the end result, as I'm sure was the case with this client. And, and folks, we're just a few days into 2022 now, and hopefully you've got some big plans for your music career. Those of you who are listening that are in the business, whether that's recording or live streaming or other performance-based projects. Either way, make sure that this year you put a priority on giving your fans, your audience, professional quality audio. The sound that this show has is thanks to a unit that I use from Centrance, like the word entrance with a C at the beginning. And while this one is for podcasting, there's one just like it that they make called the Mixer Face, which is for musicians. So if you are a performer and are recording and or live streaming, this is the investment you want to make. It's an audio interface, but you can also record into it. You can also connect a smartphone or tablet to stream live from absolutely anywhere as long as you have cell data or Wi-Fi. It's portable, it has an all-metal enclosure, and it will deliver studio-quality audio. Centrance also has a special for my audience. Go to my show website, nhte.net, and click on the Mixer Face ad. It's in the right-hand column on Desktop, or scroll way down on Mobile to see it. Use that ad to go order directly from them, and not only get free U.S. shipping, but put in the code BRUCE, and Sentrance will give you a free watertight accessory case to carry the Mixer Face in. Jonathan, for those just getting introduced to you, talk about where you were born and how you got into music.
0: Yeah, I was born in, in Henderson, Kentucky, which is a, a town that's on the western uh, point of Kentucky. If, if, if anybody knows where Evansville, Indiana is, which is uh, a pretty metropolitan area, if you go right across the Ohio River, you're, you're in Henderson. And um, when I was a kid, you know, I, I didn't really know I wanted to be a musician, but my My dad listened to a lot of classical music played a lot of uh of you know beethoven and and Bach and traditional music and um from a very young age I'm talking three or four, I would just sing um hmm. it was just something I was born doing and <laughs> like you know other little kids would uh, would play with their their cars and make little car noises and i would I would sing Bach, and, and uh, there's a there's a very early recording of me that it's very scratchy, and you can't watch it because it's on one of those old, uh, what were they called, eight something eight videos, or you know the old reel to reel, whatever. And um, I'm playing, and I'm going, I'm playing with my with my Hot Wheels, and I'm going. Uh, and I'm singing these Bach melodies. So, yeah, I would sing songs that I would that I would hear the melodies that I hear that I used to hear, which were you know Bach and Beethoven stuff. But I didn't really know I wanted to be a musician until I got you know I got older and I would hear music on the radio when I was I don't know 13, 14, and some of the things that I heard would tie my ear in a knot because I would, uh, <laughs> like there's a song called Year of the Cat, I remember, um, back in the day. Uh, and I was born in 1964. I uh, don't remember when the, when the song came out, but it was, the, you know, the year of the cat and the bridge of the song went, and the bridge of the song went, uh, <laughs> And that note didn't sound right to me. It's like mm. that note doesn't sound like it belongs in the in the in this chord. Wow! And of course, I wouldn't have been able to explain it to you theoretically. But those things would would make me very curious. You know, Hotel California's got the same thing. You know, living with the Hotel California. What a lovely place! What a lovely uh, any time of year you will find it here. Uh, Haw—a, 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 Haw-a, 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 Haw-a- phd, that chord. Just didn't seem like it belonged in the song, mm. um, and, and uh, so it was out of curiosity that I wanted to start studying music mm. theory to learn what was going on. It was like a math equation. It was like a, it was like trying to fit the parts of the puzzle wow. together. Wow! And my mom gave me piano. You know, sent me to piano lessons. I really didn't want to play piano. So after I did a couple of the the little recitals, I I didn't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> And then it wasn't until I think I was about 14 years old, and um, my brothers were much older than me, and I was over at one of my brother's house, and his wife, who was a very eclectic listening to stuff, was playing um, Return to Forever, the Romantic Warrior album. And this is an album that came out, I think, in 76 or something. This was probably 78 when I was listening to it. It's got Chick Corea on keyboard, Lenny White on drums, Al Di on guitar, and mm. Stanley Clark on bass. Wow! And it was this remarkable music. And I remember I was frozen. I was frozen for mm. hours. I kept, you know, it was a turntable. I kept playing it over and over <laughs> again. And and I remember thinking, I want to be a musician. I I want to make people feel mm. the way this music is making me feel. Wow! I want to affect people the way this is affecting me because. I didn't really understand why, but this music was affecting me in some kind of profound, positive way. Mm. And um, it was that moment. I remember the moment. I was over at his house. Wow. It was like, I, I want to be a musician. Wow, <laughs> That's wow. what I want to do.
1: Well, and after high school, you moved to California, did a lot of gigs around Los Angeles. Talk about not only continuing to study music, but as I mentioned in the intro, getting the chance to sing backup for Barry Manilow.
0: Yeah, I was singing with the William Hall Chorale uh, and, and when I moved to LA, and, and the, the way that that happened was is my high school years, I was uh 50A Allstate score in choir uh, all four years, and so I was doing the solos at the Allstate uh, choirs, and uh, William Hall was the guest director of Allstate the senior year. So when I moved to California, I already knew who he was, and I started singing with his group. And then I was also singing with the Paul Solomonovich Orchestra. And we were, uh, that's one of the biggest uh, choirs, I believe, in, in California. We were playing at, I believe, St. Charles Episcopal Church, which is one of the big ones. And um, I was his student director for a little while. But both of those guys, Paul Solomonovich and William Hall, offered me scholarships, mm. uh, one to USC and one to UCLA. Wow. <laughs> so, and, um, and my second year in college, yeah, I got, a, I, I got the, that thing singing uh, back up for Barry Manilow at the Hollywood Bowl. That was
2: 1983.
0: Mm. And um, I think it was then when I think, this is what I want to do. And so at that point, I started singing at all the jazz clubs. Uh. I was uh, doing all of these different things and singing with remarkable musicians. Uh, the keyboardist for the Pointer Sisters is one of the guys that I would that I would hire to sing keyboard. and. Um, as as time went on, uh, I became, you know, I, I thought, wow, I can, I can play music and make money. Yeah. And that was the big thing for me. It was like, I can, I can play music and make money doing (laughs) it. It was like a, like a revelation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the lead up to today, you told me that you won a spot in the finals at the stardom pursuit, 90 competition. I'm going to plead ignorance. Please tell me what was that? And also what was the moral dilemma that you faced there?
0: This was a competition that had 3,000 competitors Whoa. nationwide. Whoa. Um, and it was, it was held as a series of preliminary uh, competitions that would slowly, uh, you, know, we, you know, you would win this subdivision and then you would win that subdivision and then you uh. would win that subdivision. So, so all of these jazz clubs and, and clubs all over Los Angeles were making a lot of money <laughs> through the <this> thing. <laughs> but at the same time, I won and won and won and at the time, uh, I had a lot of people in my life that were telling me, you know, oh my God, you know, you're the greatest singer in the world, you know, you know, you're all this, you're all that, and um, I got to the final, um, the final competition, which was held at the Wilshire Ebell Theater in Los Angeles, and the judges were all famous people. Uh, I don't really remember a lot of who they were. Some of them were people from... There was a show out at the time called uh, Star Search, mm-hmm. uh, which was on TV. And mm-hmm. one of the judges was from was one of the producers of Star Search. And mm. um, I don't know, different different kind of celebrities in, in that. Mm-hmm. And um, I had heard... All, now, you've got to remember, this is 1990. I was a kid, My my head was so big I couldn't walk through most people's (laughs) doorways at the time, and uh, (laughs) and um, there was this one kid named Bobby. I'm not going to mention his last name because I I know who he is and he's he's still around. He still performs. He performs uh, in uh, in Las Vegas, Um, but I had never. He was one of the people I'd never heard him sing, and um, I looked at the lineup for the final show. And they had they had him performing last, and me performing second to last. And um, I thought, well, I want to hear this guy. And I went into his room where he was rehearsing. And when I heard this guy sing, my heart just—I mean, I, it's like I died. Mm. It was like I, I went to a payphone. I called my parents. I said, "Don't don't come to this because I'm not going to win. Wow. I'm not I'm not going to win this. Wow. this. This guy." this guy's the greatest singer ever heard. I am, I was just, I was devastated. I had already lost mm. this thing in my own mind. Yeah. And, um, I was dating a girl at the time who, uh, was pretty sharp. And, uh, she said, listen, just don't worry about winning this thing. Just entertain the audience, you mm-hmm. know, entertain the audience and do your thing and do the best job you can do. And don't worry about who's winning or who's coming, get that, get winning out of the equation and worry about doing what you're doing and just perform and entertain the audience and do the greatest job you can do.
1: Yeah. I like that.
0: So sure enough, this guy had never heard me sing either. (laughs) (laughs) So I came out second to last and sure enough, the judges or the the people who put the show together literally put us in the order of the way that they thought we were going to come in. They thought that that that's the order they thought we were going to be, uh, winning in the show. Wow! I didn't learn this until, you know, months later from one of the judges, but, um, I went out second to last and just did the greatest job that I could possibly do. And I mean, it was, it was a great, it was one of the best performances. And this guy, Bobby, who had never heard me sing before, he got psyched out. And when he came on after me, he wasn't singing nearly as well. Whoa. That's what I had heard him do just an hour before. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And the, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, lo and behold, I won first place. I, I uh, won first place in the show, got a, you know, a big, won a big six-foot-tall trophy. And I think the the cash winnings at the time was, I don't know, $3,500 or something, you know, which was a lot of money back in 1990. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, wow. And, and I learned a lesson. Um and I think that that was, I think that was the time when I, I shrunk my head a lot and I stopped being, uh, you know, the, the, the egotistical brat that I was, you know, because, you know, I'd go to these competitions and other vocalists would be backstage sucking on lemons and drinking, and I'd be out in the parking lot smoking a cigarette, you know, <laughs> going, ah, you know. <laughs> and um, so that was that, you know, I think all of us have a time when we, when we come to reality. You know, and we start kind of realizing what are the more important things in life here? You know, it's not to show off. It's not to sing as many notes as you can or show off a range or anything like that. It's to use your gift to move people, uh, touch people and entertain and uh i think that's where that all that all kind of changed
1: for me wow wow what a great story what a great story there's somewhere in the united states that you lived that i did not mention in the intro which is connecticut where i'm guessing you moved to from los angeles what prompted that yeah in
0: 1990
2: 1991
0: i met uh my (laughs) ex-wife and um we moved to... I, I, this was during a time when I kind of thought I wanted to have a normal life. I'm air-quoting normal life. The Ovation Guitar Company hired me pretty much over the phone. I had done a lot of woodworking, and they, they at the time, they liked to have musicians working in their factory. Mm. Uh, and so we moved to Connecticut, and I started building guitars at, uh, at Ovation Guitars. And uh, that was during... Th- this was a very dark time of my life, because... And, and this is something, Bruce, that, that I have never talked about until now. And uh, I thought this might be a good opportunity to, to kind of talk about this because um, I, I think that a lot of us, a lot of people achieve things through adversity. It's adversity that, that, that causes us to to um, hit rock bottom sometimes and change who we are and 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 reevaluate life. And what happened was is... is um, this uh, fiance that, um, that I was with at the time, who became my wife for 10 years, came to me before we got married and said, listen, there's something I've never told you about me, hmm. but, and you, know, you never want to hear those words. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and she, she explained to me that for most of her life, uh, she was born and raised as one of Jehovah's witnesses.
2: Mm.
0: And um, she had left the organization because she was sexually molested by one of the elders in the organization, which caused her and a lot of her family to leave the organization. Um, But she, in in her words, she realized that she had been, you know, I'm I'm quoting her on this. She had been punishing God for something that a man did to her.
2: Mm. And
0: she wanted to get back into the organization. And she wanted to raise her children in the organization because in her mind, she thought this was a very uh, viable thing to do, a very good way to live. Mm -hmm. And uh, me being very naive, not knowing anything about anything, uh, and being in love, I agreed to this. And uh, to make a long story short, I became one of Jehovah's Witnesses and literally gave over maybe 15 to 20 years of my life to this organization. Mm. And uh, I'll fast forward. Coming out of the organization is difficult because it means a shunning. Um, if you leave the organization, that means you're, you don't talk to your family, friends, relatives. You you, you know you're, you you go through a period of shunning. Wow.
2: Um,
0: where and in, you're in, you're in a state that's called disfellowshipped. You know you're either disfellowshipped or disassociated, which means you have left the organization and you're no longer allowed to to be a part of it and you're no longer allowed to associate with anyone that's there. So, one thing to, you know, I I went into a state of where I was kind of communicating with people uh, online who knew a lot about, uh, you know, life after after the organization. And I found out that there were a lot of people who were pretending to be Jehovah's Witnesses Hmm. so that they could have a relationship with their children their grandchildren their nieces their nephews wow. and so I made this crazy decision because I was I was insane I wanted to get my kids back and and you know one thing to get your kids back in your life will drive you to craziness <laughs> so I got back into the organization I, I, I which could take up to two years for I me mean, it took about took about uh, 18 months hmm because you you have to go to the meetings, and you can't talk to anybody, and you have to come to every meeting. And then, you know, at a certain time, the elders will say, okay, we've decided that you're worthy, and we're going to reinstate you. And then once you're reinstated, everyone can talk to you again. Wow. And I actually went through that process to try to gain my children's trust again, so that I could hopefully put certain information in front of them that would Show them the truth, hmm. uh, but it didn't work. Oh no! Um, uh, an email was found, and the lid blew off, blew <sighs> off the whole thing. And <sighs> my children said they never wanted to see me again. And um, oh
1: my gosh! Uh,
0: so um, I'm making a very long story short here. Um, <laughs> once I reached that point in my life, after you know, literally crying every day for about two years. Um, I remember I was turning 50, and um, I said to myself, well, for the first 25 years of my life, I did whatever I wanted to do. And for the second 25 years of my life, I did what I thought I should be doing, (laughs) what other people were telling me to do or what organizations were leading me to do. So starting now for the next 25 years of my life at 50 years old, since like seven years ago... I'm going to do what I was meant to do. Mm. And so there's a big difference between doing what you want to do, which is how I started out, doing what you thought you should be doing, <laughs> which is where I got caught up, and then doing what you were meant to do, which really falls into the area of purpose, wow. life purpose. Wow. Fulfilling your purpose, mm. determining what is it that I was put here on this earth to do, and then hell or high water achieve that.
1: Fantastic. Then
0: the question came, is it possible? Here I am, I'm 50 years old. I don't really know how to play a musical instrument that well. I'm not really connected to the music business in any way at this point. Mm. Can I fulfill this dream of of becoming a full-time professional musician?
1: Okay, let's let's leave the audience hanging here for a minute cuz I have a couple follow-up questions before you go any further. So you were working at ovation guitars in connecticut so at this point in the story where you're at where this has happened and you're not able to regain your children this email is found et cetera. are you still working for ovation guitars this whole time
0: no this was uh me and my wife and and my and my show, my two kids we moved to florida in 1999 uh okay And um, just because we were tired of the cold, you know, wanted to change. And um, I started working for a company here in Florida called uh, Delta T Systems which was a company that engineered and manufactured boats, uh, manufactured engine room ventilation systems for boats and yachts. Wow. <laughs> so wow. here I am again working in, the, working in the manufacturing engineering field, doing something I just absolutely don't care anything about.
1: Yeah, because you had said that you weren't working in the music business anymore and you didn't have any context, and that's where I wanted to kind of reconnect the pieces because the last I had heard in the story you were telling, you were working for Ovation, and I thought, well, to me, that's sort of still being in the music business in a roundabout way, but, so, you moved to Florida and, and you were doing something that had nothing to do with music. Let me just reset for the audience here. I'm joined today on the Now Here This Entertainment guest line from just north of West Palm Beach, Florida by singer, songwriter, guitar player, and drummer, Jonathan Cummings. Visit his official website at jonathancummings.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. He is on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, so do engage with him on each of those. Keep up with Jonathan online so you can see where and when you can go see him perform live. In the second half of the show, we're going to be talking about some of the different performances that he does. Now that a new year is underway, Way, I hope that you've made a commitment to getting more results for your career as a musician, an actor, a comedian, magician, entrepreneur, a small business owner, an author, whatever it is that you do where you are getting interviewed on radio, TV, podcasts, etc., Set yourself up for success by taking my online class at interviewtipscourse.com. You will get close to 30 tips that will help you maximize the time you put into being a guest and talking to audiences about your business, your product, or your service. There's also a module that gives you 15 sources for finding more interviews. This is on-demand, go-at-your-own-pace with videos and corresponding PDF downloads. Go to interviewtipscourse.com now to get started. So Jonathan, you mentioned about your 25 years of life philosophy, and so you set a goal as to the amount of money that you wanted to make every month just performing as a local musician. So how did that go, and what was the lesson you took away from that?
0: Well, let me, let me just preface that for a minute by saying that, you know, after we moved to Florida in 1999, uh, in 2001— um, my brother, Mike, was 13 years older than me, and, and he, he was where I got a lot of my musical influence from when I was growing up. But unfortunately, Mike was an alcoholic drug addict who, um, he would he would get clean and sober for periods of time, and then he just couldn't, uh, he would just fall off, off the wagon.
2: Mm.
0: Um, he never could uh, get that part of his life together. And in 2001, he died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Mm. And um, it was shortly after that, shortly after that time, after I went to his, you know, and also, you know, that part of Kentucky that he lived in was a very, a very dysfunctional part of Kentucky, a very poor part of Kentucky. Um, I actually went to Kentucky, conducted the service. I was an ordained minister at the time. Mm. And I actually in front of everyone i actually buried his remains and um my my other brother roger who's 10 years older than me he was telling me I, you know i'm i'm useless right now i can't do anything mm-hmm. my dad couldn't really do anything because he was busy taking care of mom so i kind of did everything at that during that time and when i came back to florida um it was within that next year that i extricated myself from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, um, became divorced from my wife, uh, and went through all of that turmoil that I had that I had talked about previously. Yeah. Then, when I turned, uh, when I turned around 50, um, I made this decision that I was going to do what I was meant to do, and and even the woman that I was with at the time who we had been dating for, I don't know, three or four years, even she told me, well, you can't do that. You can't make that amount of money performing locally. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, love, I love it when people in my life tell me I can't do something. <laughs> you know, um, But then within the next couple of years, I realized that I had actually set the bar too low.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, because I was I was at a point in my life where I just felt I, it was I felt free for the first time. It's like I can pay my house payment, my car payment, my everything is paid, and I am doing. I am not. I'm no longer punching a time clock for anybody. Mm-hmm. I am doing what I want to do. I'm I'm playing music all the time. It's so like every day I'm doing these gigs. I'm playing at yacht and country clubs. I'm playing at high end restaurants. I'm doing private parties. I'm I'm getting booked all over the place. I mean, it was it was really really great. And then what happened next was, I know that that people say, you know, people really don't get discovered anymore, or, you know, it's like those kind of days are over, or it only happens once in a lifetime or whatever. But I'm telling you, if you put yourself out there enough, it will happen. That's right. Because what happened, I was actually, I was working at a venue, it was a 4,000- Square foot indoor venue, and they would hire me there to be the MC for the the concerts that would come in, which were sometimes national acts, regional acts. Ah. And I was in there one day, and um, there was a guy in there who was wanting to buy a PA system, a, a board, a thirty-two channel board. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know who he was at the time. Turned out he was Jack Starr. <laughs> I didn't know who Jack Starr was, and. Um, the, the manager of the venue who's showing him the systems, you know, saw past in the story and said, Hey, Jonathan, would you go do a sound check on the mic real quick? And I'm like, sure. So I, well, you know, I don't sound like on the mic. If there's a mic in front of me, I'm going to sing, uh-huh. you know, you have to, you have to put yourself out there. And, uh, so I sang cappella through the mic, which is, you know, one of my specialties singing things, acapella off the cuff.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And, um, this producer, Jack Starr, hired me to be on a national show.
2: Wow. Wow.
0: And, uh, yeah, so the next thing you know, I'm playing on national shows with uh, Tony Award winners and Grammy mm-hmm. nominees. And, you know, and I, I always tell students, and, and before the, the, uh, the pandemic, I did have a fair amount of students. I, I don't anymore because that, kind of, that kind of faded away
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, for now. But I, I would always tell them, I would say, look, there's plenty of people. Who can read through the book on this gig there's there's plenty of people who can play the part right so what it comes down to is what kind of person you are period mm. if you're backstage complaining about stuff you're mm. never going to get hired again you know but if you are you know con- if you're if you come totally prepared for the rehearsals you, you've done your homework you're upbeat you're making people feel good And most importantly, you're making the star of the show look and sound great, which is Mm. what your job is when you're a a musician on a show. You're going to just keep getting hired. And Mm. I have people in my life right now that are very important to me. One of my best friends in the world is a cellist that lives here. I, I have... I have a lot of people that I actually call my best friend. Many people only have one best friend. I've got like six of them. <laughs> one of my best friends is a, a friend of mine. He's an internationally acclaimed counter His name is Terry Barber, and um, every time I work with him on a show, he just says, "He says, Jonathan, you're you're one of the people that I I, I just I want you on the stage with me. I I, I just." I, I, You know, you're one of the few people that I would rather not have anybody else on on the stage with me, performing with me.
1: Mm. Folks, a lot of the points that Jonathan is making here are points that we've heard other guests make. And the reason that they're coming up and coming up and coming up from one episode to another is because these are veterans of the music business that are out there on the front lines living these things and sharing them with you to let you know they really do happen. The story that Jonathan just told of how he had this chance meeting by just working and doing a sound check on the mic. Those things happen. But as he said, you have to put yourself out there and you do have to do the other things he said. You do have to just be a good person and be enjoyable for others to be around. It was just last month when Chad Jeffers was the guest on episode 409. He's the guitar player for Carrie Underwood. And he said, we're there to support the headliner. We're there to... I'm paraphrasing, but not make them look good, but make things easy for them. We're there to round out their show for them. And that's what Jonathan is saying. So take all these things to heart. I'm, I'm surprised, Jonathan, by the way, backing up that you had mentioned that when you set a goal as to the amount of money you wanted to make every month just performing as a local musician, I'm surprised that you said you set the bar too low because I think the trap that too many independent musicians fall into is they set it way too high and then they fall short of that and they get depressed and say, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this after all.
0: Yeah. And I think that's true. And if you just ask the question, what do I need? You know, if if you can have the following things paid for your, your housing, your transportation, your health insurance, your food, you know, I'm talking about the necessary things. I mean, if, if you could just take care of just those things by doing what you love to do, would it be worth it? And, uh, Matter of fact, there's another question that's even more important than that. And I would encourage everyone to ask this question. The question is, what would I give my life for? This is a question that the great Bob Proctor asked years and years and years ago. What would I give my life for? Now when you think about that question, that question sounds huge. Yeah. This, This sounds like an enormous question, but it's not. Because here's the newsflash: whatever it is that you're already doing every day now, that is what you are giving your life for now. Mm. So if you're accustomed to sitting on the couch watching, you know, episodes of Game of Thrones, not that there's anything wrong with that because I love Game of Thrones, <laughs> but if that's what you're doing every day, that is what you're giving your life for now. Mm. Maybe you should think about something a little bit bigger to give your life to, and. The, the decision that I made when I set this goal of, uh, you know, the, the um, I wanted, and I'll tell you what it was. I wanted to make $3,500 a month. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to make $3,500 a month. If I could do that, just playing music, I would be a success. That was my, that was the goal that I set for myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And once I asked myself that question, what would I give my life for? I realized, okay, here's the deal. I'm either going to a accomplish this goal or B, it's gonna kill me. And I'm serious, I'm serious about that. Mm. I'm either going to make this happen, or I'm literally going to die trying. That's how important it was for me to never have to punch somebody's time clock again. I had made, during the time I was working in factories, I had made one person into a millionaire and two people very, very rich. Mm. And I thought, I am never going to punch a time clock again. I'm not gonna sell, give away. You know, The most important thing for me in my life is my time. I have a limited amount of it. And I don't want to sell it off to somebody so that they can benefit from my time. And so the whole concept of doing this became so important to me that it was like, okay, can I learn how to play the guitar well enough to play on a national show? Mm. No, that's not the question. It's like, how am I going to do it? what am I going to put myself through to make sure that I become a viable guitar player who can read through the chart, who can play well enough. And and I did all of this, Bruce, without the use of my pinky finger on my left hand. That's another
2: another
0: whole story. Because when I was working in one of these factories back in 1991, I sliced my pinky finger on my left hand and severed the flexor tendon. Hmm. And they say, if you want to learn how to play the guitar, you need six strings and 10 fingers. Well, <laughs> I only had six strings and nine fingers, and I was still able to do it. Amazing. Because if you want something bad enough, you, you, you have to want it bad enough. You have to make it to where I will do anything to make this happen, or else I'm done, yeah. I'm done. Right. Uh, you, you really have to, to get yourself into that mindset. And there are times when you're learning a musical instrument Where you practice and you practice and you don't feel like you're getting any better. Sometimes you feel like you're getting worse, but you don't realize it that you are getting better. It's just you're not seeing the results Mm. of what you're doing. Um, There's a great illustration about a a tree that that I believe grows in Lebanon and it's some kind of a bamboo tree or something. You you plant the seeds, you water it, you give it sunlight, nothing happens for a year. You water it, you give it sunlight, you give it fertilizer, nothing happens for a year. In the third year, you're getting pretty tired, but what you don't know is that there's a pretty complex root system growing under the ground. Mm. And in the fourth year, I believe it can grow something like 14 feet.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: So when you're practicing your instrument and when you're learning something, you do feel like you hit these plateaus where you're like, man, I'm never going to learn this. You know, this is just <laughs> frustrating. But if you if you stick with it and and ride on that plateau, realizing... That you are growing roots under the surface, then you'll you'll hit these little points to where you'll play the guitar one day and you will go, "What just happened? I feel like I'm <laughs> like I'm like much better than I was yesterday." Well, you suddenly didn't get much better. You're you're just reaping the rewards of the practice that yeah. you put in and yeah. the study that you've done, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, great. So advice. I mean, you know, can can it be done at the age of fifty? I, I'm that example. Yeah. I'm that example. I've done it. And now I play on national shows. Great <laughs> advice. Know? It's crazy when you think about it.
1: Yeah. Well, and speaking of national shows, you started to mention this name. Back on episode 333 of the show, my guest was internationally acclaimed vocalist, actor, songwriter, and producer Terry Barber. Jonathan, you played drums. You were talking about playing guitar, but you play drums in Terry's national touring production called Mercury, the Story of Queen's Frontman. So since you're based here in Florida and he's up in, I believe, New Jersey, how did you come to To know Terry and get that opportunity
0: Uh, I was singing in a local theater here in in Florida Uh, I don't remember how many years ago it was now and uh, at at the time Terry was living here he had he has an organization here in Florida called artists for a cause that still exists here in Florida it's still here even though he lives thousands of miles away and um, a mutual friend of ours told Terry, listen, I want you to come and hear the singer, Jonathan Cummings. And Hmm. he came and he heard me and uh, he said, yeah, he's pretty good. He's good. You know, great, great. And then that was the end of it. But then about four years later, this producer (laughs) that, uh, that I met in this store, Jack Starr, was doing a show with Terry Barber in it and said, hey, Terry, listen, I've got an idea for the other singer that I want in this show. I want you to check him out. His name is Jonathan Cummings, and a bell went off in Terry's voice, and he went, "Wait a minute! I know who Jonathan Cummings is. I've... Yeah, I've known who he is. Wow. Yeah, let's let's have him in the show. He's, wow. he's really good." And so, again, this is one of those things where you know serendipity doesn't happen. You have to make it happen. You have to be in as many places as you can, and um, you know these chance happenings are not chance you make them happen you, yeah. you you have to keep putting yourself out there and making them happen yeah. so yeah so um at the time i was hired to and here's how that happened i was t- i was hired to sing one solo and do one duo with terry mm-hmm. and then it came up wait a minute you can also play the drums a little bit right uh yes i can well why don't you play some of the drum parts they're very simple okay i'll play the drum parts and then it was like well wait a minute um We're doing the jesus christ superstar stuff at the top of the show can you play the electric guitar during the jesus christ superstar stuff and the word that came out of my mouth was yes i can (laughs) (laughs)
2: that
0: was the word that came out of my mouth it's it's always my it's always my first my knee gut reaction sure i can do that (laughs) so here i am on the show i'm doing i'm doing a solo i'm singing a couple of duets i'm playing drums through parts of the show i'm i'm playing uh, guitar at the top of the show and I'll never forget that one day when I, when I walked off, I walk back into the dressing room, Jack Starr, who's a very colorful man, I'm not going to repeat his language, <laughs> but he basically hands me my check and says, congratulations, you figured out a way where we can't do the blankety-blank show without you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, great, Jack, that's exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's great because it's a testimony to being diverse in terms of multi-talented, multi-instrumentalist, and like you said, having the confidence in yourself, in your work ethic to say, yes, I can, and then it's kind of figure it out later. And lo and behold, it's, yeah, I know him. He can sing, and oh, by the way, you play the drums, and oh, by the way, can you play the guitar at the beginning? So it turns into that much work. And also, back in the intro, I mentioned that you are the creator of The Troubadour's Journey. What is that project?
0: The Troubadour's Journey. You can find um, you can find a uh, playlist of the Troubadour's Journey videos, the ones that I've created so far, on my YouTube channel. Uh, which is uh, my YouTube channel is the Troubadour's Journey, and uh, my a, a lot of the life philosophy that I have learned in my life came from my father. And uh, I'm sure you know who Tony Robbins is. Oh yeah. I'm sure you know who. Stephen Covey is. Yep. I'm sure you know who, uh, you know, I could name a bunch of names, but the reason you know who these people are is because they wrote books and they did seminars. My dad, who is one of the smartest people I've ever known, never wrote a book and he never gave a seminar. Mm-hmm. So he, the information that he taught me about life philosophy, accomplishing your goals, um, et cetera, et cetera, uh, if I don't tell them... <laughs> on my YouTube channel, or if I don't write a book someday, no one will ever know what these Uh, are.
1: Ah, I see.
0: And he was filled with such great knowledge. You know, he used to tell me when I was a kid, he used to say, watch everybody. Pay attention to what 99% of everyone is doing that's the same. Do the exact opposite and you'll be right 99% of the time. Hmm. And it's that type of information, you know, he was also the one who encouraged me to, you know, you know his his life philosophy had two steps step number 1 find something that you love to do so much that you would pay someone else to let you do it hmm. step 2 figure out a way to make a living doing that <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's it I like that and um he was a very deep man he he died in in June and he would have been 90 years old if wow. he would have made it another 2 weeks wow he and my mom were married for 72 years mm. and, uh, about five years ago, I moved them in next door to me so I could, I, you know, I always tell people I moved my mom and dad in next door to me so, so they can keep their eye on me, you know, <laughs> but, um, I moved them in next door and, uh, my dad passed away in June. My mom still lives right next door to me. I, I was just visiting her this, this morning before the podcast mm-hmm. and yeah, it was, it's his wisdom that, uh, that I have kind of accumulated in, in my life and I've taught that, you know, something I call the 1919 principle, which is, uh, very important. It's, it takes about two hours to explain that one. Uh, there's all of these different things that I have kind of, uh, kind of, uh, you know, collated his information and, um, I see r- realize how, how important it is. And, uh, uh, as I continue on with the troubadour's journey, uh, life management system on my youtube channel it's just going to you know it's going to just get more and more uh you know it's, it's going to just become more and more uh, thick and yeah, a, a lot yeah, more stuff
1: involved yeah. well we're in the home stretch here but can you talk about some of the other shows that you have toured with in the intro i had mentioned two of them being broadway music on tour and the music of andrew lloyd weber
0: well yeah the mercury show uh is a very important show and that's Continuing to go on here in, in 2022, we've, we've done a couple of a couple of those shows, and uh, it's a great show because um, the musicians on it are all incredible, uh, and we actually tell the story of Freddie Mercury during this performance. We play 22 Queen songs, and uh, you know I get to sing my my share of solos, and it's just it's a great show. So that show is going to continue to to go on the other thing that's happening this year in 2022, which I'm very excited about is the show that's happening now (laughs) is just me and Terry Barber. It is a show that that just has me and Terry Barber in the show. Uh. And it is the music of Simon and Garfunkel. Uh. And what we're doing on that show is we are performing the greatest hits album in its entirety, Mm. uh, with a few added, with a few added things. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, Terry Barber and I were, were talking uh, about Simon and Garfunkel and, and how important that music was to, to me, and it was also very important to him, you know, when we were growing up. And and believe me, me and Terry Barber, we come from different worlds, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I, I think a lot of people, when they, you know, ha, have been influenced or affected by that that music, and so we want to share that music and, and do the best job that we can of of uh of performing that album live and, uh, presenting it with the best, uh, the, the most integrity that we, that we can and, and helping people to re relive that, that music.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we're going to close today with another song from Jonathan Cummings, one called roses, diamonds, and candles. But before I let you go and I play that song, Jonathan, share with the audience all about this track, if you would, please.
0: This track, um, is one of my original tracks. It was recorded here in, in my studio. Uh, and it is very uh, kind of indicative of the way that I write music, which I I have found is very different from the way most people write music. But the song is very allegorical. Uh, it talks about my love is a rose, but then you you, you realize that she's a rose because she's very thorny. Mm-hmm. My love is a diamond, and you realize the reason I'm saying that is because she cuts very deep. Mm. And, uh, my love is a candle, but that's just because she burns. Wow. Um, so it, it's one of these, uh, uh, kind of an alleg, you know, I think that allegory is dying, but, uh, uh it's an allegorical piece of music that, that kind of tells that story. One of the lines in the, in the song is, uh, you know, I thank God for the day when, when I ended it, when I ended this relationship
2: mm.
0: and a lot of my original music, the, 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 the you know, the most important thing is the words, I think. And I always start off writing a song. I never listen to a riff or a chord progression and go, hey, let's put some words to that. Mm. In my mind, that's always backwards. I always write the story. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And once I get the story written out, I'm like, okay, let's see if we can make some of this rhyme. And I never put in words that just because they rhyme, because to me that just doesn't make sense to do that. Everything has to be very well done, and then mm-hmm. once that's done, then I look at it and go, "Okay, what kind of music facilitates this story?" Wow. Now let's put the music in.
2: Wow.
0: Uh, which which I have found is different than the way a lot of people write <laughs> a lot of people write music. Um, and so that's the song. This song is going to be on my. CD which I you know I am making a commitment to you and everybody that you know this year 2022 is my year I'm going to finally get a lot of this a lot of my originals uh, recorded they're going to be on my website you can find out where to get them from there whether it's um, Spotify, iTunes, et etc.
1: Awesome.
0: Um, but uh, I'm always so busy performing and and, and <laughs> rehearsing and practicing to get this done. This is the year. twenty two is the year. So this is my this is my new year's resolution, awesome. but this is going to be on my CD called uh, Songs from the Treasure Coast. Uh, roses diamonds and candles
1: fantastic fantastic jonathan thank you so much it's been great having you on the show happy new year to you and we'll be watching for all that music that you're going to be releasing this year but for now i really appreciate you coming on now hear this entertainment
0: bruce the pleasure has been all mine and thank you so much happy new year
1: Listeners, that will do it for the first episode of 2022. For now, hear this entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, guitar player, and drummer Jonathan Cummings. Do visit his official website at JonathanCummings.com, and again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at NHTE.net. Remember that he is on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, so do find and engage with Jonathan on one or more of those platforms. For that matter, tell him you heard him and his music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Keep up with Jonathan online so you can see where and when you can go see him perform live. Be reminded as you start your new year that setting goals is important, but following through on the actions that will help you hit those targets is the key. Everyone is looking to stay home and get interviewed on, say, radio shows and podcasts or be a guest on a TV talk show. But if you're doing those and not seeing results, whether that's sales, downloads, bookings, new clients, whatever – Then you're just wasting time. Go to interviewtipscourse.com and learn from all my years of experience, not only booking clients into interviews and hosting the show, but all the work that I did with a National Hockey League team and in the Olympic movement. It's on demand, so you don't have to worry about availability for a certain date and time. Make it your aim in 2022 to nail the media interviews that you do. Go to interviewtipscourse.com today to get started. That will do it for episode 413. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Jonathan Cummings. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Roses, Diamonds, and Candles.
3: My love is a rose As pure as the snow From the macaw on her finger To the ring on her toe From her swayed back mare to her unbroken stud out in her tackle shack You know she's knee high and mine And she's a beauty queen To all but me who behold her From the wolf by her side To the snake around her shoulder My love is rose oh, yeah. Pure as the snow Pure as the snow. My love is a diamond, uncut and true. She got gypsy eyes, of oh, an undisclosed hue. She got sandy hair, like a Mojave desert sand. She's got the claw of a bear. In her Indian headband She's got a classic chassis Like an old two-tone Chevy But the 1040 in her veins Just got her heart running heavy My love is a diamond Ah, yes she is now Because she's uncut and true You know she's uncut and true My love is a candle, 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 candle That burns through the night I thank God for the day Thank God for the day, thank God When I snuffed out that light She's got the heart all Oh, how she burns through my night Because she's uncut and true You know she's uncut and true You know she's uncut and, true. You know she's uncut and